so excited by what Joe shared, but one thing Joe wouldn't tell you that I will is the reason I think that the fifth quarters have gone so well is that we have a great leader in Joe Slaybaugh who just does a great job with our kids. So I'm very grateful for Joe and I'm very grateful for all of you. You may remember a few weeks ago, uh, I told you that Pine Creek had reached out to us and said, we've got some students that maybe have some needs uh, for socks and sweatpants and underwear. And I just mentioned it and, and the overwhelming response that all of you gave. And I want to kind of just let you know how much you gave because Pine Creek itemized it. And they, uh, they were great. They said uh, we had eight girls' leggings, 13 boys' sweatpants, 75 pair of girls' underwear, 41 pairs of boys' underwear, and 34 pairs of socks. And it says, just to be able to change into a pair of clean clothes helps lift their spirit and helps them transition back into the classroom with ease. So praise God for all of you that you heard the call. And now so many kids now have those resources available to them. So I just kind of wanted to share that uh, with all of you and just tell you how grateful I am. Um, you may notice I have a fashionable boot on. Um, for those of you that weren't here last week, um, I have been attacked by a bear and some ninjas, um, and I, my parachute, my ripcord didn't go when I jumped out of the plane. I've given every excuse I can give you other than to tell you I have Achilles tendonitis, and so I'm in a boot, and I'm in physical therapy, and it is so much fun. Let me just tell you that. But I went back to the doctor this week, and they said, hey, you're making some progress. We like what we're seeing, and so well, we're going to give you uh, a brace that you can wear uh, a couple hours a day to be out of the boot and uh, slowly start to transition. And so, you know, I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, I go to physical therapy two to three times a week and uh, they seem to really enjoy what they're doing. Uh, at, least, at least that's what I can tell through my crying that they really seem to, to like it. And uh, they've done a great job. And uh, they told me from the beginning as well as the doctor, look, we promise you, if you do what we say, you're, you're gonna get back to doing what you wanna do. And you know, when I went back to the doctor and there was just a little bit of progress, I started to kind of believe in that promise a little bit. And, and then the, the physical therapist who said, hey, you know, the swelling's gone down, it seems like it's better, you're making a little bit of progress. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna believe in the promise that one day you know, I will be back to doing what I wanna do. And sometimes that's all we need, right? We just need a little bit of progress to kind of encourage us and, and, and help us buy into the promise. Like if you've ever tried to lose any weight and somebody says, wow, you know, you look, you look really good. You, know, you look like you've lost weight and you just buy into that promise. Or, you know, when your pants aren't as tight, you go, oh, all right, I'm making some progress here. And it just makes you buy into the promise of I'm going to reach the goal of where I want because we all want the promise, right? Whatever that promise is, physically getting better or getting in shape or whatever your promise is. We all want the promise of something. The tough part is how do we get there? And it's making progress. And sometimes in our lives and in our relationship with God that we want to experience the promises of God. Oh man, God's got so many promises and we want to experience all of God's promises in our life. And we say, but I'm not experiencing those promises. Why? Because maybe we're not making progress in our relationship with God. So how do we make promises, or how do we make progress in our relationship with God so that we can experience the promises, the blessings of God? 
Well, we're going to continue to go through the book of Haggai. So I want to encourage you, if you brought your Bible, open up to Haggai. Or if you've got your phone, pull it up. Or if not, you can just look up on the screen. And we're going to go through Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And if you remember, and you were with us last week, you know, Haggai is a prophet of God. He is talking to the exiles who've come back after 70 years of captivity. And the message that God spoke through Haggai was about priorities. He was saying, you guys have got to get your priorities right because their priority was themselves. They had kind of paneled their own homes and their house was the most important thing and God's house laid in disrepair. And so, so God had spoken through Haggai. He kind of said to the people, get your priorities straight. And when we start in verse 12, we now kind of pick up on the promise and the response of the people. So verse 12 says this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. One of the cool things about the book of Haggai, if you read all the way through it, there's a lot of dates. There's a lot of different dates, and scholars and scientists have been able to actually pinpoint when a lot of these dates happen. So the rebuilding of the temple actually happened September 21st, 520 BC. That's as close as they can get. So kind of right around the month that they're in. And so again, Haggai is leading them. We don't know much about Haggai. We know that his name means feast or festival. So we believe that he was probably born around one of the festivals, one of the, the feasts that the people had. But other than that, we don't know. In fact, we don't even know what happens to Haggai. Once the work on the temple is being rebuilt, we have no idea. Was he one of the exiles that came back, or was he somebody that was there? But we have no idea about him. But we know two things about him. Number one, he was sent by God. There's no doubt he was sent by God with a message from God for the people. He was sent by God. Number two, he had his priorities right. His priorities were the temple. And the temple represented the presence of God in the community with the people of God. And his priority was to make sure the presence of God was with the people. And an amazing thing happened. So God gives him this message to tell the people, get your priorities straight, put me first. And something amazing happens that typically never happens in Scripture. The people actually listened. They listened to the message because they finally realized that the message of Haggai, it wasn't coming from a prophet, it wasn't coming from a priest, it wasn't coming from a pastor, it was coming from God. They said, this is the very word of God. It's not a message that Haggai thinks we should hear, it's a message that God wants us to hear. And once they've accepted who the messenger is, it's God, not Haggai, it changes their today, it changes their tomorrow, and it changes their eternity. And once we accept that this is from God, that this is the word of God, it will change everything. And the people responded with the one thing that God wants from you and I. The biggest step that you and I can take in our relationship with God so that you and I can experience the promises of God is obedience. Obedience. 
It's obedience. When we are obedient to God, when we accept God's word and we do God's word, we are making progress in our relationship with God. But so often when the people heard the word of God, they rejected it. They were indifferent about it. They were apathetic towards it. And see, that's what happens when, when we don't obey the word of God or believe the word of God. We don't experience the promises of God. Everybody wants to experience the promises of God. His blessing, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, all of those things. Everybody wants the blessings, the promises of God. But the question is, are we making progress in our relationship with God? And the first step is obedience. So you say, well, why, why did the people obey? What made it different? Well, when you read this text, what it says, it says the people feared the Lord. Not the kind of fear you get like from a scary movie or, or when you're alone in the house and you know, the power goes out. Not that kind of fear, but a reverence and an awe. They realized it was God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. They said, God has a message for us. God is speaking to us. And they realized that God is God and they were not. And when you accept the fact that God is God and we are not, and we are in reverence and awe that God made the sun come up. We sang the song today, every breath. God's the one who puts breath in our lungs. When we realize that God is sovereign, that God is in control, we are not in control. We are not sovereign. And when we have a reverence and an awe for God, it changes us. Because then we can become obedient to God. And then we can make progress in our relationship with God. And then we will experience the promise of God. But so often, we are not obedient. We are obstinate. We say, no, I don't want to do it. Anybody in here who has little, little children has probably experienced that moment where you say, you need to eat this or you need to go do this. And they just look at you and they go, no, I'm not doing it. Maybe not your children. Maybe it was just my children. I don't know. But the point is, we did it as kids. Little, little kids do that today. But that's what we do to God because we don't have that reverence, that awe for God. But see, when we start to understand that it's God, that's when we start to gain wisdom. Listen to what Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, when we are obedient to God and we are in awe of God, that's just the beginning of wisdom. We start to really understand God is awesome. And we know that the people started to, to pick up on it because if you look at the text... Three times in two verses, they say, their God. Their God. They started to take ownership and said, their God. That is my God. They were taking ownership of their relationship and saying, I understand you are my God. They were claiming it and they were proclaiming it. We have to take ownership of our relationship with God and not be afraid and not be embarrassed to say, that is my God and I will serve him and I will submit to him in all things. Because when we do that, that's when we become blessed. That's when we become open to receiving the promises of God. Here's, here's a test that you can do. What is it that you are most obedient to in your life? The thing that you don't want to disappoint the thing that you don't want to fail at, the thing that you don't want to miss. A lot of the times it can be our work, 
A lot of times it can be our kids, our grandkids. It can be how our house looks. It can be what we drive. The thing that we are obedient to the most is our God. We can either have a big G God or a little G God. A big G God is the God of the Bible. A little G God is religion, is all the things of the world. And see, we are a people that have to understand who God is and who we are. And when we are obedient, we are making progress in our relationship with God, and we will experience the promises of God. Now, I want you to think about this. When the temple was first built by Solomon, it was seven years in the making. It was forced labor. It was done through heavy taxation. So the only way that this remnant of people was going to rebuild the temple was through a spirit of volunteerism. That's the only way it was going to happen, is they were going to have to volunteer their time, their talent, and their treasure if they were going to be obedient to God. You think, well, how in the world is God going to get 50,000 people to give up their time, their talent, and their treasure and volunteer to make God the number one priority in their life? It's because God can and God has. But I don't want you to miss on how big this task was. They had to rebuild the temple of God. Can you imagine how overwhelming that was? How daunting that was? Have you ever had to do something and thought, how am I ever going to do this? How is this ever going to happen? Have you ever found yourself maybe just paralyzed because you don't even know where to start because it's such a big, it's such a daunting task? I know I have. And then there are four words. There are four words that will change your life. If you remember nothing else from today, remember these four words because these are the four words that God said that changed his people. I am with you. Those are the four most powerful words you and I can ever hear. God is with you. And that's what God said to the people. He said, I know you're overwhelmed. I know this is a huge task. I know that it seems impossible for this to happen. But don't forget, I am with you. And when God is with you, who can be against you? When God is with you, there is nothing, nothing that you and I can do individually and collectively. And what we see that this is not the first time that God has told his people that he's with them and it's not the last time. I think we have a graphic that we can put up here. The Lord was with Joseph and all of his success in Egypt. How is Joseph, whose brother sold him into slavery, how is he going to rise up and be successful? Because God was with him. How about we look at Moses? Moses heard a burning bush speak to him. People must have thought he was crazy, but God said, I am with you. Joshua had to replace Moses, the legend. How was he going to do it? God said, I am with you. When Gideon had to face a huge army, the Midianite army, how was little Gideon, how was he going to overcome an army? God said, I am with you. When David was going to become the leader of God's people, what an overwhelming moment. And God said, I am with you. And when you and I think, how am I going to get through today? How am I going to get through this week? How am I going to get through work? How am I going to get through school? How am I going to get through relationship? Remember what we read in the gospel quoting Isaiah, that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. My friends, 
God is with us. And when we understand that, we can have comfort and we can have confidence because God is with us. And when we understand that and we start to make progress in our relationship through obedience and accepting that God is with us, then we will be coming closer to experiencing the promises of God. And one of the promises of God that comes out of obedience to God is knowing that God is with us. No matter how bad, no matter how difficult, no matter how strained our relationships are, God is with us. And so the question becomes, how is God going to do this? It's great that God said that he was with the people, but how would that manifest itself in any way to get this temple rebuilt? It still was a huge task. And know what it says in here, if you take a look at it, what it says. After God says, I'm with you, it says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit. I love that. That the Lord stirred the spirit in the people. The Lord shows his sovereignty over all things, even our spirit. And the Lord started to stir the spirit up in the people. He says, you know, when I said I'm with you, when I said that I'm with you, that means I got you. And I'm going to do something that only God can do. So he starts to stir up the spirit first in, in, the, in Zerubbabel, then in Joshua, and then in the remnant of the people. He starts to stir up the spirit. And I, and I want you to see this so, so you don't miss this, that, that when God stirs the spirit, sometimes it's long before we even know what he's doing. Because remember, the exiles were there for 70 years. How are they going to get out? God stirs the spirit. And the king of Persia here, as we look in 2 Chronicles, it says, in the first years of, king, of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah... The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you, may the Lord God be with him and let him go up. God was stirring in the spirit of King Cyrus. God can stir in your spirit and my spirit in the spirit of the community. Joe referenced it. When we first started those fifth quarters, there was great resistance. It used to be down at John Bond Park with a, with a cooler and kids just hanging out on the volleyball court. And people didn't want to change. They didn't see it. But God started stirring in the spirit. And now all of a sudden, the school is for it. The parents are for it. The kids are for it. That's because God is stirring in the spirit. And I want to show you a pattern here. I think we've got this graphic up right now. There is a divine challenge. God is saying, get your priorities right. God may be giving you a divine challenge in your life. Now there's a human response. The human response was obedience. And so now here comes the divine response, which is assurance. God said, I'm with you. God may be putting a divine challenge in your life right now. He is challenging you on something. To trust him. To give all you have to him. To make him your number one priority. And what is your human response? If it is obedience, then you will get the divine response of assurance. God is with you. And look how God stirred up the spirit. I just want you to, to kind of see this here. Yeah, he stirred up the governor, that's the secular. He stirred up Joshua the priest, that's sacred. He stirred up the community, the remnant, that's the city. That God is sovereign over all of us. And he stirred up the spirit. Because the people said, divine challenge, human response of obedience, divine blessing. Now if you're like me, I, I usually get that order wrong. 
I usually give human challenge, expecting the divine response. I always like, God, this is a great plan. Would you just bless it? God, would you just bless my plans? Because they're really good. But see, what we learn in Scripture, if God's our number one priority, we respond to him. And when it's that obedience that we respond with, then we start to understand and experience the promises of God. But we need to stay obedient. That's why in Jude it says this. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. When we keep ourselves in the Lord, when we keep obedient to the Lord, God does amazing things. Haggai was a vessel for God's truth and for God's love. You and I can be vessels for God's truth and God's love. So let me ask you this question. How many of you had coffee this morning? That's a lot of hands right now. How many of you have coffee every day? How many of you will drive through like a Scooters, a Starbucks, or, or Cranes to get coffee when you need it? Right? Now let me ask you this question. Do you go and crave that wonderfully warm, caffeinated slice of heaven because you like the cups? Do you go, oh, I got to go to Starbucks, they've got great cups, or I only go get the coffee because of the cup that it comes in. Scooters has the best cups. The cups don't matter. It's what's in the cup that you want because what's in the cup is greater than the the cup itself. Well, we have to understand what is in us is greater than ourselves. We have the Spirit of God living in us, and that's greater than who we are. Our message is more important than who we are. We are the mobile temple of God. I think we talked about that last week, but it bears repeating. It says here in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you've received from God, you are not your own. When we are obedient to God, we are making progress in our relationship with God. We get to experience the promises of God as I am with you and also the purpose of God that God will work through you. You become the coffee in the coffee cup because people see the spirit of God that is working and flowing out of you because you are obedient to God. And that doesn't mean that we're puppets and that God's on a string because we have a human response. But what it shows us is that there's a big word here, sanctification, that is happening. And all sanctification means is that God is working in us to make us more like Jesus. He's working in us. He's working on our heart. And maybe you're wrestling with some stuff right now. That's a great thing. If you're wrestling with some things in your spirit because God is putting some stuff on your heart, you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I'm conflicted, that's good. It doesn't feel good. It's like my physical therapy. It doesn't feel good. But I know it is good because that means God is stirring in your spirit. That means God is doing something. Look, you are here today. That is a step of progress. You're making progress. You're coming to worship God. God is stirring in your heart. You're here, that's great, but what else is God calling you to? Because if you truly want to experience the promises of God, and there are so many amazing promises of God. Joe had mentioned it. Stay faithful, be obedient, and watch God work in you, but watch God work through you. See, we are all under construction. We are not a finished product, and part of it is making God our number one priority and being obedient to God. If we can take those two steps, we start to make progress in our relationship with God, we will experience the promises of God. I want to ask our worship team to come back up, and 
And I want to just, as they come up, because the people were obedient to God, it was a new era for the people of God. And out of this era would come the Davidic ministry. And out of the Davidic ministry comes Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And I want to encourage you to say, you know, what are my priorities? Are you focused more on the promises of God but not making progress with God? So here are three things to think about. Are you progressing in your relationship with God or have you stalled out? Kind of same place. Say, I want to take that next step in my relationship with God by being obedient. Number two, are you obedient or obstinate in your relationship with God? What is God doing in your heart right now that you're fighting? Are you wrestling with something that God's calling you to do? Trust him. Make that progress. Experience his promise. And number three, do you know and experience the promise of God? The promise of God is Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. It's, it's in this book right here. I want to encourage you as we hear this song to just reflect on your relationship with God. Are you being obedient? Are you experiencing the promise of God? Amen.